Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Full Court Press has the latest news and opinions from men's and women's college basketball. Our hosts are John Fanta, who calls games all around the country for Fox Sports and others, and Kim Adams, an analyst for Fox and ESPN, and a former D1 baller who never saw a three-point opportunity she didn't like. If you don't believe me, check her Twitter page. Take it away, guys. It's Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams on Tuesday, Cinco de Mayo. John Fanta, Kim Adams with you. I'm in... Cleveland Kim's in Philly. Kim, you have a margarita? I I don't have one yet. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say that I didn't lay out the ingredients to see what I had. And if uh, that might be happening a little bit later tonight, if you uh, are interested in a virtual cheers, maybe. I like that idea. We, we <laughs> might have to do one with our podcast listeners before this is all over. Uh, coming up on today's show, we've got Nick Coffey. He is a morning show host at KRD in Louisville, uh, which KRD is the home of Cardinals men's basketball and football. So he'll lend some perspective on this week's Louisville news with the notice of allegations coming down from the NCAA having to do with the Brian Bowen scandal back in 2017. So we will take a very deep dive and look at big picture Louisville thoughts, Rick Pitino thoughts, really interesting takes and perspective from someone who is in the trenches with this in Louisville. Plus, Kim gives her take on name, image, and likeness progress in the NCAA. And we'll look at a big head coaching hiring in the sport and a pathway that is pretty inspiring. Uh, But Kim, Cinco de Mayo is today, and I'm going to give you my Cinco de Mayo. If it's a buzzer beater coming early, maybe it is. my mom got tacos, but she didn't get chips and salsa. And I I, joke, <laughs> I jokingly was hard on her, uh, jokingly. But I said, Mom, come on, where's the salsa? This sounds like one of, yeah, one of our first buzzer beaters. Going back to that restaurant <laughs> I was at in Atlanta <laughs> where they had no chips, no salsa, no queso, no guacamole. Th- this doesn't sound like... Mrs. Fanta, I feel like she is normally on top of stuff like this, taking care of her little boy, John. And you know what? I'm going to get heat for this because Sunday is Mother's Day. So I'm going to give her a pass. I'm going to give her a pass here. Sunday is Mom's Day. And if we're learning anything from the Last Dance documentary, it is the power of a mother because Dolores Jordan was so instrumental in helping Michael Jordan to North Carolina and pursuing his education and then was so instrumental in helping Michael to Nike. I mean, she literally made that happen. I I couldn't believe the story on Sunday that Adidas, who's going to come up in this podcast for other reasons, Adidas didn't have a shoe prepared for Michael Jordan. I mean, when you talk about fumbling a bag, that's a butt fumble. Adidas, Adidas fumbled the bag, and that must have been 
a tough watch for them on Sunday night as the current day, modern day Michael Jordan said, oh, I was Adidas all the way. I wanted Adidas. I loved Adidas. Ouch. Say a couple hundred million dollars, maybe billions that Nike has profited off of because Dolores Jordan made her son Michael take that meeting. Who's your favorite character in The Last Dance? Oh, favorite character. Um, well, I think there was one that really took took Twitter by storm on Sunday was that little, the security guard. I don't know if they ever gave him a name, but he was playing Michael in the little office before games. I don't know if they were nickels, quarters, whatever. Um, but they were playing the game and he beat Michael Jordan and then hit him with the Jordan shrug. I mean, that was, that was an iconic moment. I think I saw you <laughs> tweeting about, like, we need to know where this guy is yeah. right now. And I, I had the same thought. I was like, this guy must have some stories, and I'd like to know what he's up to these days. So um, he, but- he passed away in January. Oh, no. Uh, and, and oh, I know, my God. I know. May he rest in peace. Uh, his name is John Michael Wozniak. He did an interview with Complex in 2016. I'll have to send it to you, Kim. And it talks about some of those stories and just the different MJ things that he encountered. But John Michael Wozniak, I hope his family was watching Sunday because a star was born. Yeah, I mean, the last dance in general just continues to be amazing. I love it. This, how about the soundtrack? I know I'm a, I'm a little older than you, John, so I don't know if you know these songs resonate as much with you, but these are some great 90s music. Actually, Spotify now has created an official playlist for it, so I was listening to that yesterday, but the soundtrack is really phenomenal in this show. The soundtrack's amazing. The whole production is is just outstanding. It, it's It's been a win. It's been a win in every way, shape, and form, and that's hard to do today. I know we're hungry for any sports right now, but this got major, major hype, and it has absolutely lived up to it. The Last Dance uh, has been incredible, and I actually think with how good it's been, Kim, I, it's a reflection of MJ, and Michael had to sign off on it um, for it to go through, but... We have seen ESPN's most successful ventures lately be O.J. Simpson's documentary, which took the summer the summer by storm uh, a couple summers ago. And now we've seen MJ, The Last Dance. These long-form documentaries, they work. And for the right topic. But there's plenty of those types of topics in our sports world. And I'm curious to see how we continue to see ESPN storytelling go because the 30 for 30 series has not been as uh, plentiful in production in recent years, but when they've put something out, it has been amazing, amazing to watch. I already can't wait for this Sunday. We celebrate moms, and then we continue a celebration of Jordan. That might be the best Mother's Day ever. That's perfect. And, John, it's interesting to me because before this was released, Michael Jordan had said this documentary is going to make people – not like me very much and unless there's some crazy stuff waiting in the wings for episode seven through ten I I just don't see how that that's the case I mean this past episode got into some gambling stuff which I thought was kind of ridiculous the man has a lot of money he he chose to do with it what he wanted I didn't see any harm in that but I just I'm finding a new love new levels of love and respect for Michael Jordan and it seems that that's the general 
consensus. So for him to be like, I don't think people are going to like me very much. I think it's been the opposite. I think people are realizing just kind of seeing what goes into how he was as a player, how he's competitive, so competitive in every single aspect of his life, whether it was playing cards on the plane, golfing, like everything was, I'm going to beat you. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it's for. Um, so to me, it's just been fascinating to see how everything has come together to make him the player and competitor that he was. Mm. Well, let's turn to some college basketball talk. At long last, the Louisville Cardinals men's basketball program received the notice of allegations that stems back to a 2017 case. Now, Louisville was proactive, but the NCAA finally making it official of the four allegations that they put against the Cardinals. This has to do with Rick Pitino, the assistant coaches Jordan Fair and Kenny Johnson at the time, and the primary player involved, Brian Bowen, who enrolled at Louisville as an 11th hour five-star recruit in June 2017, but never played there or at any other college after being at the center of the FBI sting operation that had to do with aspiring agent Christian Dawkins. If you watched the scheme on HBO, you saw what Dawkins was uh, centered around. But the NCAA putting together a notice of allegations, a level one allegation that an improper recruiting offer and subsequent extra benefits to the family of Bowen uh, and a recruiting inducement to a prospective student athletes, non-scholastic coach, trainer, that that was a level one allegation. Then three level twos, one for recruiting violations by those assistant coaches, another uh, that the institution failed to adequately monitor the recruitment of an incoming high-profile student-athlete, that being Bowen. And so that's what goes back to Tom Jurich, the previous AD at Louisville. Uh, he was relieved of his duties right on the spot. And then a level two allegation that the former head men's basketball coach, Rick Patino did not satisfy his responsibility when he failed to promote an atmosphere of compliance. So with all that in mind, we expected this to come down at a certain point, but now it's come down. And it is the first major step in the Cardinals potentially uh, getting this behind them. But it could come with penalties because this is a program that has multiple infractions. And so to get the local perspective, he hosts mornings on 790 KRD right in Louisville. KRD, the home of Cardinals men's basketball and football. And he's also the creator of the Cardinal Connect, which is a great site for all Louisville fans to hit up and read up on. It is Nick Coffey who joins us here on Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Nick, thanks for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Uh, happy to be here. So, Nick, what was your reaction when this first came down on Monday afternoon? Uh, I wasn't expecting it at that time because I think we heard weeks ago that the NCAA didn't plan on going through with any notice of allegations during the pandemic. So it was a little bit of a surprise, but really big picture. We all knew this was eventually coming. Louisville fans knew Chris Mack knew when he took the job, that this was something eventually you'd have to take your medicine for. And honestly, uh, for me, one, it gave me a little bit of excitement to know that we actually have something to talk about now when there's not a ton going on in sports, but really there is now, I guess, light at the end of the tunnel to where Louisville can finally get this behind them. The university has made 
a lot of changes over the years. Uh, when it, from top to bottom, really, there's a new president at the school, Neely Bindapudi. Vince Tyrae's done a good job in his role. They've hired Chris Mack. Uh, so the program is, is headed in the right direction, but this is, this is something that's been lingering for a while. So there is a little bit of positivity there as far as just knowing this is the first step in actually getting completely rid of all the scandals that have gone on. It bears noting here that when this was first in the news in 2017, Louisville took such a proactive approach, and frankly, they needed to because they've had multiple infractions, a new president, a new athletic director, a new basketball coach. And at that time, they went with David Padgett, who just filled in for Patino, and now it's Chris Mack, who's done a great job with the program. We'll get to that in moments. But, Nick, what I get the sense of – with this is the NCAA doesn't have enough in this notice of allegations, one level one and then three level two allegations to bring the hammer down on Louisville, that if they did bring the hammer down, it would be a result of different factors uh, because of the fact that they are a multiple infractions program. Absolutely. Because they are a repeat offender, I just think that leaves open the door to where if you do get the hammer dropped on you, it would be because of that. Because if you look at what they're alleged of doing, as you mentioned, in these specific violations, I think when other notice of allegations come out for the other schools involved, they're going to have some more harsh uh, allegations against the head coaches. I mean, uh, in another, in part of that level one, uh, there's two aspects of it. One where, uh, and this is just a really foolish thing that Kenny Johnson did. Brian Bowen was already on campus at L, was with the program, had signed with them, and he allegedly gave Brian Bowen's father over $1,000 in cash, which is just a, a foolish thing to do. That was actually mentioned uh, in the, the uh, scheme documentary that you mentioned a moment ago. But the other part of that level one is the Adidas involvement, which is just, this is fascinating to me to see that in federal court, they looked at these, these, these guys that were on trial, they were accused of defrauding the schools. So the schools were the victims, but on the NCAA side of things, they're looking at these Adidas reps that were again, taken to federal trial, they're looking at them as boosters. That's what they've done with Louisville here. They did the same thing with Kansas. So I think UofL can fight that and say that these guys aren't boosters. The testimony that TJ Gasnola of Adidas uh, testified to says under oath, he's risking perjury here. He says the only four people that were in the know about money exchanging hands to the Bowen family for him to go to an Adidas school that's Louisville is the three Adidas reps, Kristen Dawkins, and of course, Brian Bowen Sr. So I think they can fight that, but then again, that's that's just that's it's hard to ignore the fact that because they're a repeat offender, you really can't be too shocked if they do get a very severe penalty. You keep in mind these these violations that took place by these former assistant coaches, they happened within a week of the of the program ripping having a, a championship banner ripped away from them. So um, I, I still to your point, I think the the level of what they were accused of doing isn't quite as serious as you might have expected, especially when it all broke three year, roughly three years ago. However, because they're a repeat offender, that makes them eligible for really uh, the harshest penalty the NCAA can enforce. Nick, just to get some perspective from you on the local reaction of fans, just two-part question, I guess. Part one, how have fans adopted the new era of Louisville athletics with Chris Mack taking over in the last few seasons? And then how have you seen them react in the last 24 hours since yesterday's news came out? Now, when it comes to reacting to the new era that is here, it's, it's been great. I mean, Chris Mack, 
it's really unfortunate that the season ended the way it did because this was a team that uh, they could have easily been bounced early like a lot of teams, but they also were in that group of teams that looked like if they played well and had a favorable matchup, they could make a run maybe to a Final Four. And to say that Chris Mack was in that situation, I mean, even to be in the situation as a preseason top five team in year two, uh, he's, I think he's ahead of schedule. So the fans are very excited about the future. Uh, but of course, I think we've all, I think a lot of fans tried to ignore. In fact, this past season was one where it felt like, man, let's really, really hope this goes out. Let's, let's soak this in knowing you have a contender because you never know. Maybe in a couple of years, you won't be able to play in the tournament because uh, of the sanctions. Now, as far as the news yesterday, we're not uh, unfamiliar with NCAA sanctions, notice of allegations. This has been a never ending thing for years. So, you know, I said this this morning on my show, hopefully I do. I do live sports radio for many decades, but I think there are probably people who have done it for many decades that haven't come close to talking about as many NCAA violations as I have. It's just been uh, really unreal. But yesterday's press conference from Neely Bendipudi, the president, and Vince Tyra, the AD, they made it very clear they are going to fight this. They're going to challenge some of these infractions they don't think are legit. They are not going to admit to anything. They're going to Uh, Well, I shouldn't say that because they did say they'll own up to things that they know that they won't contest. But the first time around when Louisville had to face the NCAA for the Minority Hall, Katina Powell, Andre McGee scandal, they they punished themselves. They admitted to some wrongdoing and they thought that would help them. And in the end, it did not. They really got crushed. It didn't seem as if they really it didn't seem as if their cooperation helped them with the NCAA. So fans wanted to hear that we're going to fight it. We're not going to uh, we're not going to do any self-imposed penalties because the last time it didn't help us. So I think they know big picture. You still have a, a long fight ahead and it's just unlikely to see this program not get hit with some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of uh, big time punishment. But I just think the fans right now, are, if there's one thing they're happy about, it's to know that they're going to fight it this time instead of just kind of taking their medicine and hoping it works out for them. Sure. And, and we talked about how it, it seems like the university did everything in the right way when these allegations came about, several years ago by cleaning house and getting new people in place. Um, but with this news resurfacing and, and the potential of a, a postseason ban in the future, do you think yesterday's news will impact recruiting at all for Louisville? Despite nothing really changing, I think it will just because it's just, it's hard to ignore the noise that is out there. You know, there was a, a class that Chris Mack signed in his first real year of putting a class together in 2019. It's the class that just finished up their freshman season. That was a top 10 class by most. And that was impressive for Chris Mack to do under any circumstance, but to do it knowing there's that cloud was really impressive. And those recruits who committed at, at the time and signed with Louisville said that they, they knew of the situation. But I think this could be a reminder. Maybe there'll be guys that consider transferring because I don't want to take a chance and find out later that I'm not going to play in the postseason for a year or two. Now, as far as recruits right now, even, I mean, I think Chris Mack and Vince Tyree have been very honest and upfront with everybody that this is clearly something they're going to get to at some point, And it's something that is out of their control. It's going to be in the hands of the NCAA. So despite no new allegations happening, the program is headed in the right direction with Chris Mack and his staff. But I think right now, there's just no way there's just no way to ignore that this is a bad look on the program even if it's not these coaches in place they're not responsible for it i just can't imagine it i don't know how much it hurts it but i know it certainly does not help nick coffee is our guest he hosts mornings on 790 krd in louisville the cardinals in the news for the wrong reasons again this was expected notice of allegations coming down on the men's basketball program but uh, no current coaches players administrators that were with the program in 2017 are with the program now nick did 
do you see Louisville moving on from Adidas and going with a different outfitter considering everything that Adidas has been uh, in the weeds with Louisville on this? That's a really good question. That came up yesterday during the press conference to athletic director Vince Tyree, uh, because clearly uh, these employees of Adidas put Louisville in a really tough spot. Uh, and his answer was that it was very clear from day one. That was one of the first steps he made in taking the job is figuring out how this happened. And from what I understand is Adidas did everything they could to let not only UofL know, but other programs that are involved in this. Kansas is an Adidas school. Uh, and they essentially cleaned house as best they could. And it sounds like they made the university feel comfortable that this is a one-time thing. It's not going to happen uh, in the future. But that is something that has come up in Louisville, that why, why has UofL uh, decided to continue this relationship? In fact, they signed an extension with them. So they're along and they're one of the top endorsers of Adidas in the college market. So I think they're going to stay put. And Vince Tyree made it very clear that he's comfortable with the way they've made some changes at Adidas to keep this from happening. And also Adidas, I guess, feels the same way as far as UofL being a program that won't have this happen again, because it's a bad look on both brands, no doubt. Nick, you're in the trenches with the Cardinals. You know them front and back. This is a question I won't hold you to, but if there's anybody with a perspective on it, You've got it. Fact or fiction? Rick Patino will return to Louisville in some way, shape, or form uh, like a Bob Knight type of return that we saw in college basketball this past season. That's a, that's a big uh, – I, I, I would still say that it's a fact because wow. – and what I've, what I've said for a while is that it's going to depend on what happens here because – if the, if the program, and that's one of the things, Rick Pitino did not leave under good circumstances by any means. He had a long lawsuit filed against the school that he eventually settled and got no money. He walked away because he knew as long as he keeps fighting that, it's going to keep him from getting a new job. So that made him look pretty good that he decided to say, you know what, I'm going to wash my hands of it. I'll admit it that I was, uh, I should have, I should have done a better job at hiring people. Um, and all, another factor is that had Chris Mack in his first two years was really, really struggling. And let's say the program was barely getting by, borderline 500 kind of team. If that was the case, fans wouldn't blame Mack. They blame Patino for the situation that Mack inherited. Because Mack got off to such a great start, there hasn't been a whole lot of resentment towards Patino. So I still think the biggest question is how this thing ends up. Because if you have a bunch of punishments that you have to live through, they're going to blame Rick, and that's going to make it harder. But I think Patino is a guy that, despite it ending ugly and there being scandals towards the end, when Denny Crum had to hang it up and they needed somebody to come put life back in the program, Rick Patino did that. And Louisville has had, up until Chris Mack, they've had two Hall of Fame coaches in like a 60-year window. I mean, the program has, has a lot of tradition, and Rick Patino is not as, as responsible for that as Denny Crum, but he still has a huge piece to it. Again, there were clearly some awful situations that did happen. Uh, we all remember what happened in his personal life. There was a bad luck on the university many years ago. But I would say fact because I just think time heals everything. I really do. And I think long down the road, if, if he's open to it, I think there may be a case where they would welcome, welcome him back. But then again, I say time heals everything. Rick Pitino is, is he's not getting any younger. But I still think that will eventually happen because, again, big picture, despite the bad, there was a lot of good as well. Nick, interesting you say time heals everything there because you could you could think of that when you think of the NCAA and what their ruling is going to be here because you now have nobody involved in the program that was involved in these allegations. So do you think the NCAA will 
take that into account at all, that if they are to punish the program, they're punishing administrators, coaches, and players who had nothing to do with these initial allegations? Yeah, I think I think what really makes that a possibility is that the lighter of the penalties go on the program currently is because it helps Louisville that Rick Pitino is employed at Iona. It helps Louisville that Kenny Johnson is an assistant coach at LaSalle because they're now working for NCAA schools. They can be punished. If Rick Pitino was still coaching in Greece and Kenny Johnson was back on the AAU circuit, they could still give them, hey, a no show, they could give them a show cause or they could say that if you ever do come back to college, you have to serve a certain suspension. But they're now guys that are gettable, if that makes sense. Because uh, it just doesn't fundamentally make any sense to have guys sit out of a postseason for things that happened when they might have been in middle school. So I don't want to be too naive to assume Louisville won't get some severe penalty, but I really think that if they wanted to make those held, if they want to hold those accountable who were actually involved in the things went on, the opportunity is there because, again, two of those three coaches are still coaching. And, and honestly, nothing's changed with them. Patino lost his job, uh, but he's bounced back. Kenny Johnson didn't sit out very long at all, and he ended up at LaSalle. Absolutely. And just shifting back to some other current events going on right now with the, the global pandemic. Nick, have you heard anything from the university about any talking of what their plans are? Will students be back on campus on the fall? Uh, any Anything in terms of athletics? Just what have, what have you heard in terms of will things be back to normal? And if so, when? Yeah, right before the big news broke about the NOA on Sunday evening, an email from the president went out to students saying they are going to be back on campus in the fall. Uh, has nothing to do with athletics, but at least it's at least a sign that it's that it's possible. I think if you'd have had, and you may still have some schools that decide we're only going to do online campus in the fall. I just don't see how those schools are going to be able to operate uh, their athletic program. So Vince Tyree has been very clear that he's he's taking guidance from. Uh, the the ACC and others that I guess are more in the know about how this pandemic, how, how we're reacting to it as a country. Um, but one thing he has been very consistent on in the last few weeks is that he does not anticipate that they would play college football or college basketball without fans. And I think a lot of it has to do with the safety of the players. If we're not going to allow people to be in an arena uh, close to each other, why would we have these athletes playing where they're breathing on each other, sweating on each other? But another big factor is the financial aspect of it. UofL has, and I think they may be, they're not alone, but they were the first, I believe, to make significant cuts. They have a bunch of employees on furlough. They have uh, a lot of positions that were permanently eliminated uh, just because they know that even if you do get football in some capacity, it's not going to at all be the moneymaker that it normally is. And that football money is what keeps the other, keeps the lights on, if you will, for the other programs. So uh, I think they they want they know how important it is to get sports back and to generate some revenue, but we're we're still in such a, an unknown at this time. I think it's, if, if I was to try to compare U of L to other schools, I think they're they're kind of right there in the middle where they're not insinuating it won't happen, but they're certainly being cautious about everything. Nick, how would you define the Cardinal fan base in general right now? Because I know that the football program had a, a couple of good years. Um, and obviously the basketball program has always been at the forefront, but the basketball program's gone through some of these tough times and those tough times have clouded the opportunity for success. Plus, if you're a Louisville basketball fan, you love the Big East and everything that came with that league. Then you have your one year in the American. Now they're in the ACC. I'm guessing that fans have, have made that adjustment by now with Duke, Carolina, Virginia, great schools that you have coming in. I'm just curious to 
to see kind of where Cardinal fans are, if, if they're unchanged or if you've seen kind of a difference with football taking, you know, more of an opportunity because of the fact that basketball's had some tougher times as of late. Where are you at with that? I would say on one aspect, there is, there's, there's a level of uh, feeling fortunate because, you know, you were, you were one of those teams, Louisville, the history of University of Louisville Athletics, they've, all, they've always bounced around to different conferences, the Metro, Conference USA, uh, the Big East, the American for a year, and now the ACC. And you could have been a Cincinnati, you could have been a UConn that was left out of the Power Five. So here we are, gosh, year six, I believe, in the ACC. And I think fans still feel very fortunate to be a part of the league. But as far as what's happened recently, I think the fan base feels as if they're being picked on because they feel as if they were, they feel as if they got treated unfairly by having a championship banner vacated and a bunch of wins vacated. They're not very optimistic about how this is going to result because they got punished severely the last time around. And I've, I've had to balance this uh, because I'm not somebody who thinks Louisville is innocent and that they're being picked on by the NCAA. Some awful things happen. They had to be punished. And, Unfortunately, the NCAA, you know, they don't have the ability to throw anybody in jail. They, they, they have to punish the only way they can, which is holding the universities responsible. So I've been, I don't want to say annoyed, but again, that probably is the right word to use because there are a lot of Louisville fans who feel as if they're being picked on. And I kind of have to balance that of letting them know, okay, maybe here or there that this certain penalty may be harsh, but there's no way to deny that there have been some terrible things that happen here. I'm very optimistic about the future. I think they've made some great changes. The leadership is in a great spot, but there's just it's hard to, to, to for me to sympathize with those fans because again, these things happen. It's real, and you have to pay the price for it. All right, let's end on a high note. Your all-time Cardinals starting five. Oh man. Okay, so this is going to be tricky. Should I go? I'll ask you this. Should I go with guys I've only watched play? Because, of course, we have Dr. Duncanstein, uh, Wes Unsell, but I wasn't around. Should I go with only guys I've watched? Guys you've watched. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go uh, at the point guard position. I'm going to have to go Peyton Siva. Had a great run there. Uh, and I'm going to actually go with his backcourt mate at the other guard spot, uh, and that is Russ Smith, one of the more decorated players in Louisville history. Has nice. a great story as well. And at the small forward spot, I think if I was going to add another backcourt guy, I think most would assume I'd go Donovan Mitchell. But he actually did not have a phenomenal career at Louisville. He broke out as a sophomore, was first-team All-ACC, but he's the rare guy that has actually turned into a better NBA player than he was in college. So I'm going to go with a guy you might remember named Terrence Williams, who was here uh, at Louisville from 2005 to 2009, was a part of a couple of Elite Eight and one of the best athletes I've ever seen at UofL. Had a great career. Didn't work out in the pros for him, but he's really good. Uh, at the, in the front court, Montrez Harrell. I have to go with him. He was a, a fan favorite here. Uh, had a motor that was, that, that was just uh, never-ending. A guy who was really, really energetic. And I'll go with the center for that 2013 title team in Gorgie Zhang, who's also turned out to be a pretty good pro. So that's my five. I've got Russ Smith, Peyton Siva, Terrence Williams, Montrez Harrell, and Gorgie Zhang. Woof! You've got me Pretty flashing good squad. back. Yeah, Siva and That's Smith in the garden. With Donovan Mitchell coming off the bench. Not bad. There you go. <laughs> oh, man, Nick, you've got me flashing back to Siva at the garden. It was a lot of fun. No doubt about that. That uh, It's funny. I was watching because a lot of shows were, or a lot of the, 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 the sports we're seeing are replays, and they replayed the Siva-Russ Smith backcourt in the garden back in 2013 in that Big East championship game. And I'd forgotten just how – how much of a pest those guys were defensively, despite being so undersized compared to others. I mean, 
if, if, if they weren't turning you over, they were certainly making it uncomfortable for opposing backcourts. <laughs> it's it's you're you're exactly right. There's no question about that. He hosts mornings on 790 KRD. You can follow him also at the cardinalconnect.com. Nick, thanks so much for the time. Hope your family stays well. And the next time we're in Louisville, the next bourbon's on us. All right. <laughs> I love to hear it. Thank you guys for having me. Take care and stay safe. Great to get the local perspective from Nick. And he brought up the point that Louisville did try to attack this when it came out. These these allegations were formalized on Monday of this week. But in 2017, the Cardinals, they went full force and got rid of everybody that was involved with these allegations. They removed all doubt in terms of who was around in the program and, and who was going to be new. They, they got fresh blood. Now Chris Mack and this program are in an entirely different chapter, which is seemingly how all these different NCAA investigations go is it ends up affecting people that really weren't directly involved if there are infractions that are handed down. But you, you think about the fact that looking at the other investigations in which schools were implicated by the feds, Kansas has not touched Bill Self or assistant coach Curtis Townsend. They were both implicated in the federal investigation. Arizona rolls on. Sean Miller has has been quoted, uh, has been heard on wiretaps, uh, some of the things that he said. LSU's Will Wade, he rolls on with the Tigers. Auburn, Bruce Pearl was penalized at Tennessee, but he's still involved in this, but hasn't acknowledged it, nor has Auburn. So, Kim, this is just part of the times that we're in. Uh, the NCAA was supposed to put these notice of allegations on hold during the pandemic. Uh, they did not, which in a way I'm I'm glad that they, you know, that they're enforcing what they need to enforce. I, I don't think a pandemic should put on pause things that were done in 2017. It's been long enough. But you think about other schools, we haven't heard what's going to come down from them. And I think that the NCAA giving this down to Louisville on Monday could be a foreshadowing for what we see for some other schools here because this is this is the elephant in the room. It can't just go ignored. There's going to be some things that are handed down against some of these schools, especially for Arizona and LSU, which it's clear that they are at a degree of fault because we literally have audio recordings. Right, John. And I think with all that being said, I do hope the NCAA takes into account how swiftly Louisville acted when this came out, completely cleaned house. We've known Chris Mack for a few years, his family. I think they have, you know, they came in knowing this is going to be ongoing for a couple of years and kind of that that wasn't easy to do. And I think he's come out and said, you know, we've done everything in the right way. Um, so to me, just just as a former player, I guess, to think if I were going about my season um, and then all of a sudden got word that the NCAA was banning my team, my program from the NCAA tournament this season, the following season, that would that would just be heartbreaking to know that as a player, I played absolutely no part in this. My coaches, the administrators did not. Um, so it's definitely tricky because Louisville did did everything the right way, I think. And as Nick touched on with some previous stuff that had gone on there, they, they know that they needed to make a change. And I think they did. I think they did it quickly. I think they did everything correctly. And as you mentioned, 
you know, in the, the scheme, we're hearing other coaches admitting to recruiting violations to stuff like that and no actions have been taken. Um, so I would just hope that the NCAA considers this as a whole and considers how they reacted um, because at the end of the day, yes, Chris Mack came in willingly and, and knowingly that this would be ongoing for a couple of years and there's actually something written into his contract that if one of his teams were to receive a postseason ban, he will get another year on his contract. But but really, at the end of the day, John, what do you work all year for to get to the NCAA tournament, to to try to get to the Final Four, to hoist a national championship? Um, so that would just be so defeating uh, for Chris Mack and his staff and his players if they eventually received a postseason ban for things that they had absolutely nothing to do with. So that's kind of where I stand on it. I just I hope the NCAA um, takes everything into account, how they reacted. Uh, clearly, it's going to take some time. This, you know, it may not, it may be a year or two before a ruling comes out. Um, but but we've seen these things take time, and there's a lot of back and forth and and protests and all the stuff that goes into it, John. So Kim, you know what I like in this too. Have you ever seen the Christmas Story? Uh, I, I think I have, but I feel like it was so long ago that I don't with Ralphie really remember that. Is this the one where he sticks his tongue to the pole? Yes. No? Yes. He sticks his tongue to the pole. But in that movie, Ralphie gets in a fight with another kid at school. And you might hear my dogs in the background. It means that they're hungry. <laughs> um, Ralphie gets in a fight with another kid at school. And that version of Ralphie is Rick Pitino and the 2017 Louisville Cardinals program. It's 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 a version of Ralphie that we don't even know now. Because the rest of the movie, Ralphie's a different person. But Kim, he goes off, he gets in a fight with the kid in school, um, he uses bad language towards him, calls him a name. Mom picks him up, takes him home, mom punishes him, and dad's not home yet. Now, there's a whole different degree of punishment when dad comes home as opposed to mom coming home. But Ralphie, by the time Dad comes home, is back to his normal self. He's fine. Everything's, you know, clean. He's he's doing okay. And when Dad comes in the house, and I think this is what you're hoping that the NCAA let let's think of of uh, of Mom and Dad as the NCAA. Dad comes in the house, and Ralphie is waiting for Mom to unleash to Dad what Ralphie did today. He got in a big fight. His glasses broke. He dropped an f bomb. He he got really upset. And mom never tells dad what happened. And as a result, Ralphie smiles. He loves mom. He even narrates uh, in the movie, my relationship with my mother grew that day. Right now, what we're looking at here is Ralphie. Ralphie's Louisville. Louisville, out of line in 2017, but got rid of all that. Clean those demons. And now it comes down to whether mom wants to tell dad and whether dad wants to bring the hammer down or not. So... We can all look to the Christmas story, and trust me, if you have time, <laughs> give it a watch. I don't care that it's May, because you'll be able to relate to this case by learning from Ralphie. What a comparison. I was not <laughs> expecting this podcast to go in that direction today at, at all. Well, we just we just went there. We just went up. We, <laughs> we, we just put the star on the tree. Let's turn to a, a, a positive step. Uh, that was taken last week, and it's going to come with a process. I gave my take on it on last week's podcast. 
Uh, what's your take on the NCAA name, image, and likeness recommendations to the Board of Governors that'll now be processed and looked at before hopefully a January vote to put this in place starting in 2021? You're right. It was a, a good step, a necessary step, an overdue step, I think. Um, the timing to me was interesting. It seems as though it was in reaction to the new G League stuff that is going on and several of the top prospects deciding that they are going to forego college and go right to this new G League one-year developmental program before they enter the NBA draft next season. Um, So for me, the timing was interesting because I guess we don't really know what the extent of the discussions have been behind closed doors within the NCAA about this issue? Um, Did they just quickly come out with this as a reaction to what's going on with the G League? How much thought has actually been put into it? Because in, in reading up on so far what they are looking to allow, what they're not looking to allow, it's it's going to be a lot to process. It's going to be a lot to sort out. It's going to take a lot of time because there's simple things as a player can't be wearing their jersey or representing their school in whatever promotional things they're getting paid for, which to me I know a lot of people have said, oh, it, it would have been great if Zion Williamson <laughs> could profit off of his jersey sales. So that's a jersey sale is something that, under what they propose is not going to be allowed to happen. Um, so to me, I just, I think it was kind of a quick thing to throw out there to say, Hey, we are doing something to combat this new G league route and process that some of the top prospects are doing. But I'd like to know, you know, how long have they been thinking of this? How much work has been put into it? Because I think there's going to be some issues. My other thing, John, just as a, as a former college player, I was thinking, you know, a coach isn't going to be happy <laughs> with his star player saying, oh, after practice, I've got to go shoot this commercial. Um, how is that relationship going to go? Is our coaches going to want their players to be so caught up in marketing deals and other business ventures when they should be going to the weight room, studying film, going to study hall, doing some tutoring? Um, so I think that's something else interesting to consider, and I'd like to hear what kind of coaches think about that. Um, so I think that's gonna gonna be an adjustment. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely a great a great step, a step that I think is overdue and needed to happen, especially now with this kind of new path that is emerging uh, with players foregoing college and say I'm going to go to the G League for a year and then hopefully be a top pick in the following year's draft. Um, But I do think just like anything we've seen with the NCAA, John, these things are going to take a lot of time and a lot of sorting out to do. And once something is put in place, I think there's you're going to see certain things pop up, like I was just mentioning, coach player dynamics, et cetera. Um, So I was glad to see it came out. But I think it's just like anything else. There are going to be some complications. Seems to be our world right now uh, with a pandemic going on as well. Uh, finally, in college basketball, we're seeing less coaching searches this offseason. Uh, I think that the pandemic has a lot to do with that because uh, you you don't have the opportunity to, to do something that's so thorough as a coaching search. That said, Wake Forest 
They get rid of Danny Manning. There was a lot made about that move because the buyout with Manning, that still has to be sorted out. The fact is, Danny Manning just, it didn't work out. It didn't work out at Wake Forest. We've seen legends try to get into college coaching. It, it hasn't been the best formula. That said, Wake Forest moves quickly. They hire Steve Forbes from East Tennessee State, and I think this is a great story. He was at East Tennessee State for five years, was the SoCon Coach of the Year this season. But you think about Steve Forbes, he's had a 31-year lead-up to this point where he has not been the head coach at a power conference school, and now he's going to get that chance at Wake Forest in the very difficult ACC. But I I think we all can appreciate his pathway. In 1989, Southwestern Community College. Then in 93, he goes to Barden Community College. Then in 98, he goes to Idaho as an assistant. In 2000, Louisiana Tech as an assistant. 2003, Illinois State. 2004, Texas A&M. 2006, Tennessee, all as assistants. Then, Kim, he goes to Northwest Florida State from 2011 to 2013. Then goes back to assistant coaching at Wichita State from 2013 to 15 under Greg Marshall. And then five years at East Tennessee State. His road finally has led him to being the head coach of a power conference school. He's got a 260-77 and 77 record. And you know what? I don't know if this is going to how this will work out or if it will work out because Wake Forest is not an easy job. They've got a deep hole to dig out of. But what it says to me uh, about this hire is Wake Forest went with a guy who is a basketball lifer, who understands every facet of the sport as an assistant coach at the power conference level, but as a head coach of mid-major talent. And what he's already done is he's re-recruiting. He says, my number one Recruiting responsibility is to re-recruit the players who were still at Wake Forest that could have considered transferring. And he's already pulled back two of the four players, Kim, who entered the transfer portal last week. Ishmael Masood and Odi Oguama, both freshman forwards, are going to come back to the Deacons. The next question will be if he can keep Oliver Saar, who's a seven-footer and an all-ACC selection this past season. But congrats to Steve Forbes. I think it's a great story. Uh, for aspiring coaches in this sport. It's not an easy road to get there, and he's already hit the ground running uh, down in Winston-Salem. And boy, they need him to. Well, John, this actually, this story reminds me of a guest we had recently in Brad Underwood, the head coach of Illinois, who really has grinded his way through the coaching industry as well. Just looking back at his resume, he started at a couple community colleges before going on to be a longtime assistant at Kansas State. And then really the the job that got him got him on the rise was at Stephen F. Austin, where he had some incredible teams that we saw make NCAA tournament runs. And now Brad Underwood is having a lot of success at Illinois, a program that hadn't done much in a, in a long time. So to me, I'm seeing a lot of parallels between Brad Underwood and Steve Forbes, how they've grinded their way through the industry. And when you hire, hire people like that, those are people who are just, A, they know how to, to run a program, how to build culture, and B, they're hungry. They're hungry that they have worked so hard. They've finally gotten to a bigger step, a bigger stage and they and they understand what it takes to build that culture, and they're going to be hungry to win. So I like this hire. Um, again, the parallels to Brad Underwood were 
were interesting to me. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see, and, and that's always the first step is, is recruiting right away, keeping the recruits, um, seeing if you could snag some people for your first year so that you could start to build that identity and the culture that you want moving forward. No question. That's really well said, K.A. And Steve Forbes, you're always welcome on Full Court Press. We'll see if we can uh, get him on the show calling down from Winston-Salem, which is a beautiful area, by the way. Well, another episode of Full Court Press with Fanton Adams is in the books. Thanks again to Nick Coffey from 790KRD in Louisville for spending some time with us to talk about the Cardinals and the notice of allegations news that came down this week. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all their help. Ben Wolfen edits the show, and we always appreciate his contributions. And you can check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Monica McNutt comes by on Thursdays with buckets, boards, and blocks. On Fridays, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday, and John and I will be back every Tuesday with Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Please check them out, enjoy them, download them, rate and review, but most of all, enjoy. So again, we hope you are all staying safe and healthy, adhering to social distancing practices. Thank you, as always, to those on the front lines battling this pandemic. And we will see you next week on Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.